0: management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco.
1: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. Uh, Great weekend this past uh, couple of days. We're here with fun guests this morning. This is a very heavy show, full show, so sit down, get your cup of coffee, and relax. Well, the boys are back. Yes, the season three of Million Dollar Listing is in full swing. Filled with verve, sass, and more whining, the audience can't get enough of Frederick, Ryan, and Luis. This show chronicles the lives of three hot and very successful real estate agents in New York through their deals and in their personal lives. With me in the studio this morning is one of them, Luis Ortiz. Later in the program, I will be talking to two rising stars, Lyon Porter and Ari Lafarve from Town Residential. Also, our panel of expert agents will be here. They will tackle some hot topics and give us their opinion on the market today. Luis joined the show in season two and is fun-loving and highly passionate about his work and I'm going to ask him about all of that and more. Luis, good morning and welcome to Good Morning New York.
2: Thank you very much. Good morning.
1: Pleasure to see you. Pleasure
2: to be here.
1: So tell us, you you joined the show in season two last year. How was it to step into a show already considered a hit? Uh, was it easy, hard, and was there a lot of pressure on you?
2: Um, well, I was, I was only excited and very happy to have the opportunity to be on the show. But um, I think it was trying the only the hardest part was getting used to the cameras and just being yourself at all times because most people create someone that they think they need to create in order to be really respect it and then the more and more they get into that character the less the more they forget about who they really are and that's really uh you know a challenge but um but yeah you know I was very excited for the opportunity I was not uh necessarily you know thinking it too much I just went for it and you know allowed the cameras to follow my life and Now it's been a great opportunity. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about
1: that in a minute though because, you know, reality TV, I've I've seen a little bit about that. I've been involved a little bit with all that. And as you say, you know, letting the cameras into your life to follow you around, does it get to a point where you just wonder – I think you just said, you know, well, you don't know if you're putting on too much, not enough, a little bit, whatever. Does it get to the point wherever you say – where you ever say, you know, just turn that camera off for a minute?
2: Um... Not for me. I know that if you agree to do such a thing, you can't get. You know, you have to. Uh, you just have to let yourself go, because if you're if you're if you're to the point that you have to say, you know, the camera stop rolling, that means that you're too self aware, and you shouldn't. Because I think the, the the biggest opportunity here is to look back at what you did last year, and learn from it. You know, and see, you know, say, you know, see things that you say that you might have not say, and then you know, it's. I think it's an opportunity to to be able to look back at yourself and. In specific situations and learn from them i think you come across probably the more natural of all
1: if i may say so and um i have seen a progression in uh your performance so to speak or your reality so to speak we'll talk a little bit about that later but one of the interesting things i was uh i came across when i was uh, researching and of course i watch the show every week ryan this season declared um at the start of the season that it was going to be the year of me for him yes is he
2: living up to that uh, it looks like it. I don't. I don't spend too much time with him. I know he has a girlfriend. Uh, I know he still does well in as far as real estate is concerned. But you know, you could see that he is. Uh, he's not really thinking of anybody else. He's just trying to do whatever he thinks he has to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, let's go back. So I know that film is your first
1: venture, and you moved into New York City in uh, 2006 to attend the New York Film Academy.
2: Take us through that progression of your career to where you are today on the show. All right. So I I came to the United States pretty much to do film directing. I love to tell stories. And I was in uh, the New York Film Academy in 2006, and I wanted to do a short film. I went to La Paz, Bolivia. The reason I went there is because I had a classmate that uh, was in Bolivia, sold me on the idea that it was a beautiful country. I went down there. It was extremely inexpensive to shoot and, you know, to pretty much just block the main streets. I did that film. It was very successful. I went on to go to a lot of film festivals um, Tribeca, I went to, um, but pretty much, I went to, um, to Europe as well. I won best director in Puerto Rico. And, um, on 2008, I went to do another film and I went back to La Paz, Bolivia with, with a higher budget that I, that I picked up by asking on owners of restaurants in New York, not because they were investing in something profitable, but investing in something that, that was, that was once, once was going to be great, which was me. And, um, and we did the same film, but we put, we, we recruited so much people from Bolivia, teachers, students, uh, even people from the government. And I put so much work into it. When it came out, when, uh, when we finished the edit, I hated the movie. Hated it so much. You know, when you want to say something, sometimes it doesn't come out exactly the same way you want to say it. So yeah. that to me was exactly how it happened. And at the time I was sleeping in a French couch in 63rd and West End Avenue. And I wanted to change. I felt like, you know, I, I, I put so much of people's lives in, involved in this film, and now I hated it. I've never shown it, and I think till this day, nobody has ever seen it.
1: Where do you think the disconnect was, though, between the directing of and, and the producing of and then the final edit? Because I know... In in any film, it really comes down to the editing always. Yes. But where's the disconnect?
2: I think the disconnect was well, I was I was very young at the time, and and I, I was still I still yet needed to understand what 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 you know characters were all about. But I think I was more focused on the visual aspect of the film as opposed to the actual story and the and the characters behind it. So it came out beautifully as far as you know. You see the music, the, the movie in mute, and you enjoy it. The mu- I mean, the music is great. The editing is it's great. But, you know, there was no real um, essence in the characters. Now, when I hated it so much, I, I took it so personal. You know, as artists at first, you you take this thing so in by heart that when when they don't come out the same way you want it to, especially when you have so many people expecting it to be an Academy Award-winning film because that's how they felt when I was shooting it. Because I get very excited. Shoot for the stars. Yes. Uh I, I wanted to change careers, and I didn't not careers. I wanted to change my life. Let's put it that way. And I was sleeping in a couch. I said uh, on a friend's. And I, I I got tired of sleeping there. I needed to do something new. So I went out to Craigslist and I saw this uh, Philippe Stark two bedroom, two bathroom, uh, brand new apartment in in downtown. You know Craigslist they never, they never put the addresses. So I went down there. Um, at the time, it was 95 Wall Street. Went upstairs to the to the, uh, to the to the model apartment, and it was a studio. And the broker came to me and said, see, hey, well, you put a wall here, you put a wall there, you make it two bedroom bedrooms, 100 square foot each. Uh, it's not really $2,400 a month. It's 2820 with two months free and a 14 month lease. And that's down to 2400 And he brokered it. He brokered me the whole, the whole nine. But I was so excited for some reason. I think it was the, um, the, the smell of the room and the staging. There was like 19 people there because, you know, they made it seem like it was the last apartment on the market, but it was only the third one. Uh, and I raised my hand and said, I'll take it. He did his job. Uh, He did this job, but now this is the thing, Uh, how can I qualify to get that? So I called my twin brother, um, and we said, let's get a loan, but we don't have any credit. So my brother, who was born in 1986, just like myself... In his record, for some reason, he was born in 1946 because if my father has the same name. I have no idea. My brother had a, a Sears credit card from 1972.
1: Luis, that's a great story.
2: <laughs> and, um, and we were able to get a loan for six months. We took the six months, put it down. The broker was so impressed. He said to me, listen, if you're able to broker your own deal and I wasn't even able to bring you something, I think you should consider real estate. <laughs> I said, you know what? Let's go. I was at the time when I wanted to do something I took my uh, my license 3 days uh, 3 days after my license was approved I made a deal for 3800 in 20 exchange plus in financial district that was the day that everything changed and we're going to talk about downtown cuz you spent a lot of time down there but as a as a uh, on
1: the heels of you know your brother and and, and and the apartment whatever I also read that you and he caused some family drama as teens you know tell us about that was it because you
2: left the nest so to speak at young ages yes. and moved away Well, uh, I was always the kind of person that wanted to always create a new surrounding out of myself. I think, you know, what you surround yourself with is extremely important to who you become or who you are. And, you know, back in the, back when I, when I was 14 years old, I was very uncomfortable with my surroundings and I didn't understand why, because I think I was too young to understand what that was. And I was trying to look for something that was exciting to me that, that would, that it made me feel that, that it was holding me back. And, it was to a point that I couldn't see anything else around myself because I didn't understand what I was looking for. I just knew I wasn't comfortable. Uh, I took a one-way ticket to uh, Fort Lauderdale because it was the closest place to Puerto Rico. And I knew that things were, you know, hated south. I, knew, I could always I knew come about. back regardless of the beating. And I told my parents I was going to the beach and I left a note in the dining room and I never came back. And that is what I've read. So, And
1: your brother came with you at that time? Yeah,
2: we both came together. Yes.
1: So, <laughs> so Fort Lauderdale. First days, second days, how, um, how did it feel to be away from your, you know, your home life? It actually
2: felt exciting. It, it felt, well, at that time, as soon as I landed, I I knew I was in, straight up in trouble with my parents. So it it wasn't, it wasn't like I was, you know, so happy they're being somewhere else. I had that mixed feeling of like what I just did, I knew was very bad because my parents were very strict. At the same time, I was, I was, I was stepping in, in a brand new place that sounds so clean, the beach, people speak English, you know, was all kinds of stuff. So it's very exciting. So tell me how. Uh,
1: so tell me when they they found out that you were not just at the beach and you were not coming home for
2: a bit. What did they What did they say to you? I don't know, because I didn't speak to them for about eight months. Gotcha. But in the letter said that they knew that I, they knew that I was smart enough to understand that if things were not going great, I was going to come back home regardless of what they did, but that I needed that space. But when I heard back, I think you know when, when we when we when we spoke again, they were very happy just to hear my voice, and they started asking me questions. Even though they wanted to kill me, I knew inside. But Par- they were
1: always supporters, yeah. Parents will be parents. So I mean, basically, and and getting to know you a little bit today, and then watching you on the show, it seems sometimes that your passion gets you in trouble. Why is that? <laughs> you reach for the stars. Uh, you want more. Yes. Obviously, you're you know from start to where you are today. <laughs> I think it's about a lot about passion.
2: Yes. Well, I I, I am I have a lot of passion for life. And as I grow, I understand what things not to do. Uh, but I was always a, a strong believer that if you believe in something, you just, you just go for it, regardless of what you do and how you do it. Uh, because I think that by not thinking too much about those things at an early age, you're able to learn so much from what you do. And then this is all part of the process of growing. So as I go, I start. You know, I do the more that I can while I can, because eventually, you know, I become, you know, I mature, I become more professional. Now, if you, you know, my, you know, you'd pretty much mold yourself as as to what you do, and you balance that energy and passion into. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I'm
1: older <laughs> than you, and I'm also in the same business as you, and I watch you um, at nine o'clock at night, whatever, and I'm kind of like, you know, sipping on a cup of coffee or whatever, and your spirit and your energy, I mean, it's just so alive, and it's like it seems to be all the time. Where does that come from, like? Consistently.
2: Uh I don't know. It's just you know, I I just.
1: And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, maybe I got to take it up ten <laughs> notches, run around the streets like he does. This is
2: cuckoo. You know, I, I I I found I find life very fascinating, and the people in it, and the things around it, and I'm always, I don't know, I'm always very curious. I always, I'm always curious as to how how far can I push myself to do things. Um, I don't spend any time doing things that I don't like. If I don't like someone, something or, or, or a place, I just change it or evolve from it because I think life is too short to, uh, you know. I, I agree, but I
1: think you handle it well and it, and it comes across well. So, you know, um, we've got about two minutes before break, but I have read that you were trying to be taken, we're going to talk a little bit about the show, taken more seriously this season. So what are you, what are you doing to, to make that change? What are you doing differently to make that change? I'm, I've noticed the change from season one to season two, big change
2: well uh it all started with with my surroundings like i said i, I moved to a new company do element um uh, moved to a new apartment by myself um <clears throat> I started to become more more focused I was always the guy without a plan, and now I understand exactly what I'm taking my business to I'm understanding the people that I'm surrounding myself with the, uh, as far as professionals is concerned i'm i'm doing i'm I'm reading about the market every single day and it's more about just educating myself and being a little bit more focused and then last year, last year, I just wanted to make deals happen, whatever it took. So you
1: really- seem a lot more focused this year, or I should say, I take that back, more um, knowledgeable this year in in when you're speaking to your clients, whether they're sellers or buyers. You seem to have a really good uh, background and education. You know, there
2: was a developer that I, that I met one time, and he said to me, you know, passion and energy, it, it's 50% of the battle, but can only take you this far. You know, if you balance it with. With the real real estate knowledge, you can you, – there's not you, – you you can back up everything that you have to say.
1: And I agree. We're going to stop there for a minute. We'll be back after these messages with Luis. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. If you think you've seen online TV before,
3: Think of
0: the world 50 years ago. stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco
1: at com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Luis D'Ortiz, star of the Bravo hit series, Million Dollar Listing, New York. We were talking about Louise's spirit and energy, which I, I you know, get a lot of um, energy from when I'm watching the program on Wednesday evenings. And uh, it's something to be said because I think in this business, you know, we're all running around trying our darndest to get deals and to when we get deals to work with our buyers and sellers. And it's sometimes, you know, energy draining because there's so much drama that happens. So I, you know, props to you because I think you do it well, you know, it's, it's there and it's, you know, ever present. Um, Let's talk about Battery Park City. So you you started in the financial district, as you said. Now you're over at Battery Park City.
2: Do you like it better over there? I love Battery Park City. I mean, I don't think it's better or worse. I think it's very different. Battery Park City. It's uh, it's kind of like the suburbs within the city, mm-hmm. or a place in the city, out this outside the city. Uh, it's very green. Uh, you know, you have a bunch of kids. It's a lot of families. It's beautiful. Do you take advantage of what battery? I was just over there showing at the Visionaire, um,
1: and you know, I don't get to that part of town that often. But do you do you take advantage of the green and the parks and the water and the
2: yes.
1: quiet times that you can? I have ne- over there? I
2: never run in my life, and I'm, now I'm starting to because it's very inspiring, especially very early in the morning mm. uh, to run by the water. Right. It's just only time for yourself. I think it's you know it's time for you to think about. Well, I was going to ask you to take us through the day. Um, you know, you had a little drama
1: this morning getting here. I had some drama getting here this morning. Typical life of New Yorkers, yep. uh, whether you're in real
2: estate or not. So, what's your day like? What time do you get up in the morning? And um, how does it go? It depends. I don't. I don't sleep much. But I. But I, de- I, I wake up anywhere from five to seven thirty, depending on things that I have to do. But I find that the days that I wake up earlier are the days that I, I become more productive. Because there is that little thirty minutes or forty five minutes you spent on your own just to reflect and, and reassess and just vision exactly what's going to happen that day. But are you sort of meditating or are you, you're, you're checking emails? Um, and, and... Oh, mm, I, I never considered meditating, but I think it is meditating when you so just, just quiet time. Just quiet, just thinking. You know, maybe I'll put music, but it's only it's only to think and to get excited on your own to self self excite yourself to uh, take over. Absolutely,
1: um, and I think it's very important, especially as I said a minute ago. You know, the the hecticness of this town that most people who don't live here don't really realize what we go through. So, tell me about the luxury real estate market in New York. Why is it so hot?
2: Um, well, it's uh, there's a lot of foreign money coming from outside the United States. Uh, they're using luxury real estate as, um, as a safe box deposit um, because it's it's a safe haven, especially in New York City. I mean, you have uh, new development that it's coming up, and then you know once once closing starts, apartments are up thirty percent. Um and they you know the money keeps coming. You have that ultra high end luxury market, which is you know now one fifty seven, two twenty Central Park South, that New Vornado Tower is gonna to come at five thousand dollars f- a square foot for non for no view apartments. Unbelievable. All the way to thirteen thousand dollars a foot. And they're gonna sell them. And they will probably will.
1: It's it's craziness. So let let's talk about million dollar listing because again, I think the show is a tremendous hit on Bravo. I think it's genius. Um and you guys are all fantastic. How did that come to be for you? As far as business? How did you get no, how did you get the show?
2: Oh, um let me think. I was doing a showing at chiprion in fifty five Wall Street back in this was two years ago. And I get a call from an A one A number and there's someone that says, Listen, have you uh this is um forgot her name. What was her name? I forgot her name. From World of Wonders, the production company. She says, Have you heard about the show called Million Dollar Listing? I said, Well, I've never seen it, but it is very popular down here. And she said, Well, we're looking to uh to replace one of the agents and you know, we're just looking and then after that I talked to her. I remember I said to her, I, I I knew that at some point I was gonna get a call like this, but I never expected it to be from a beautiful woman like you. And she started laughing. We talked for like an hour, she talked about single life, she talked about, you know, real estate a little bit. I knew they were looking for drama and you know, a little bit more on the personal side. And then they came with cameras. They followed me around for a week or two. They also interviewed me, and I and I know that they were doing the same thing with a with a couple of more agents. So they were testing. Pretty they much. were testing a lot of people, and I think a lot of people auditioned for it. Or like you know, sent tapes and things like that. And then they picked about 30 or something. And then they followed them around. And then it came all down to me. They never said you were the one, but you know, we kept on shooting for so long. I figured. Did they test you with uh,
1: with Ryan and Frederick also, or no. it was just kind of on your they own? Fo- they just follow your business. Gotcha. They follow your business for a week or two. Um, So obviously, you've been on the show for two years. uh, Where we're in the middle of uh, your second season, Um, is it helping your business? Yeah, it is. Uh,
2: It's helping actually more this year. Uh, You do do get it's you know this it's the perception of what people see. You know they realize they get to know you. They feel like they trust you. And I think you know one of the one of the hardest things as a real estate agent to do is to get to people to trust you right off the bat. You have to introduce yourself and prove yourself before they even consider working with you. And I feel like you know, being on people's TVs where they're having their lunch or where they're going to sleep, it's kind of like you're in their house. So they already have the sense of trust that when they see you, they don't need you to reintrodu- introduce yourself because they already know you. And when they see you out on
1: the street, whether you're in your real estate Mode or you're just in your personal Louis well, you know, mode. You
2: and I know that we're always in the real estate mode. <laughs> <laughs> even in this show right now, we're <laughs> checking our emails. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, we're correct.
1: <laughs> but but what's the what's the 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 action when they see you? The reaction when they see you out on the street, even in
2: real estate mode? Yes. Uh, everybody everybody stops me. They always want pictures, and I think everybody is a fan of the show. Everybody always have nice things to say. And, you know, most of the people are saying that, you know, it's an inspiration, uh, to them. Uh, you can see a lot of people that say, you're an inspiration to my kids. They're 17 years old. They want to be real estate. by the time they turn 18, um, you even have, uh, salespeople in the finance world that said, listen, we put your show to our guys so that they understand that this is, that we're salespeople. And then, you know, we, we take a little bit of you to get inspired for our business. Like there's, there's a lot of things that there's people that have said to me that they've, they've put my show in repeat before they go into a job interview. So that they can get excited about life in a way that when they go to that job interview, it's not about the job. It's really about the state of mind. And the energy and yes. the spirit, as yes. we talked about before. So yeah. all of that stuff is very exciting to hear.
1: Absolutely. How do you get your listings?
2: Mm.
1: In, in a world where mm. obviously there's not a lot of product right now and very severely limited inventory, how are you, Luis Ortiz, getting
2: I would say the attention nin- of sellers? 95% it's through cold calling. I love doing that. I want to ask you about that. All right, go ahead. I think it's you know it's a very old-fashioned way of of uh, generating business, but it's one of the ones that will never die. I feel if you're good and trustworthy over the phone, you don't sound like you're selling cars. You know, um, most of the time I tell them the truth. Listen, uh, I, you know, I, I after I've been on the show, I've been you know I, my my brand has has grown. Uh, it, like I said, it brings credibility. When I call someone, I tell them, listen, especially people that are selling their apartments on their own, uh. I tell them that I have a formula, which is true, that I haven't yet realized what that is, but I know that it's working. And, you know, we have a good market. I I have a good vision when it comes to presentation and bringing, you know, uh, the right perception from the apartment into the audience. And I tell them and we have a conversation until, you know, we get to meet. And then, you know, obviously at the end, I'm not the only one interviewing. I know there's another 10 people.
1: But. I, I, I like the cold calling aspect and, and, and I admire that on the show. They, they um, show that a lot with you. I come from a sales background outside of real estate before I came into real estate and cold calling, and like you said, it's real and it's where the rubber meets the road and if you do it successfully and do it correctly, you'd hardly ever lose. You know, if you don't come across as that used car salesman. So when I watch that uh, with you, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Why do you think the show this year is delving more into all of your personal lives than just your your business of real estate? I picked up on that yes. more so this year than than last.
2: Well, I, if you see, I don't have much of my personal life, so it'll always be <laughs> you know I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have too much friends and things like that. But uh, I think that um, the show will always be about real estate, but at some point it'll start becoming more about the characters behind the real estate. Uh, because we're three guys that do exactly the same. We have the same careers, but we all have a different reason as to why we choose to to uh, do real estate, as to what motivates us to uh, to do a deal. And, you know, the means to an end. And, uh, and I feel that, uh, that that's what's interesting. You know, in the end, it's, you know, it's a million people that do what we do, but I guess it's, you know, the different aspects of it that –
1: but it's those who make it different are the ones who are going to be, be remembered and who are going to be successful because yeah. there are way too many people in this field. <laughs> That's true. What what, is, what are they going to reveal about you, though, this year? Because it seems like the year of revelations. You hear baby talk, you hear girlfriend talk. What What's going to be revealed this year about uh, Mr. Ortiz?
2: Well, I'll tell you something. If uh, you can tell us. Yeah. I think this year you'll see why have I not dated? Why do I, you know... Why? Why? Why do I not have someone next to me? Why? 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 <laughs> and you know, it's it, it's a it's a topic that I never wanted to touch, but I feel like you know, you, as you start feeling comfortable with uh with cameras and everybody is around, and you start to really just be you, and then at some point things will cap, you know, cameras will always capture that, and then you just have no choice but to open up about it and embrace it, and that's what you'll see. So
1: <laughs> a little sneak peek into what we <laughs> may get revealing yes. in, in the next couple of weeks. You know, you say this is going to be the
2: best season so far for the show. Well, you'll see, you'll see the the bedroom that I grew up in, in my house, where you go down to Puerto Rico. Ah, yeah, we'll so see my family house. visit. Yep, we'll see my house. Why is this going to be the best season? I be- think you were quoted as saying that recently. I I would say the same thing. I think it's it's a season that you'll get to see what really motivates the three of us to do what we do, and I think f- uh, for better or worse, we're all different and we all have very interesting reasons as to why we decide to be in this crazy world. It's a great trio. It really is.
1: The, the three of you couldn't be any more different, but but fascinating. You're very fashion conscious. Obviously, I'm looking at you today and you're, you're dressed to the nines. Have you always been into fashion and clothes or is it just something that came
2: up with the show or? Uh, no, I w- I've always been, uh, I always, I'm always, i always a fan of, of a gentleman who takes care of his appearance. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, uh, hair, uh, you know, I'm a fan of 1920s. And I feel like, you know, now it's very unfair. You know, women are spend a lot of time, you know, being looking beautiful. And we, uh, we just throw in a t shirt and some big jeans and then we walk out the door. I think it's not fair. I think they should, they deserve always also someone that's, you know. I agree. I also, th- I also think that if we
1: present ourselves, even in our, our downtime, because we're always working, as you said, 24 by 7, you never know who you're going to bump into.
2: Yeah.
1: And you never know who you're going to be. Listen. We have about a minute left, and I just wanted to ask you. I can't let you go without asking you about Todd. What, <laughs> what, what is with Mr. Todd this season? Todd is. Uh, I have a great story that I can tell you another time. We don't have time for it,
2: but Todd is such a great guy. I'm a, I'm so happy that I took on the job. Uh, now, you actually, well, they uh, their parents just gave me another listing for it's an eight million dollar plus listing that I have to co-broker again with Todd. But I think we already went to the big to the to the hardest part of the war. You changed him. Oh, yes. You completely changed him. We evolved him. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'll never change. <laughs>
1: no, he'll, he probably will never change. But the, the evolution, and I mean, just amazing. You should do Absolutely. a show <laughs> me and
2: Todd, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, somebody said to me the other day, is there going to be a spinoff show with Luis and Todd? I'm like, I don't know. Listen. Ah. <laughs>
2: I'll hey, watch that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. I will watch that too. That, that's, that's kind of funny. So just quickly before we go, what does it take to be a successful agent? I mean you've touched on lots of bits and pieces of it, but really what is it to, to become very successful?
2: I think I can only speak from my own experience. I think the reason I became successful and, and remained uh, becoming even more successful is because I never in my entire life have ever aimed for money. I just aim to do the best of what I can do and ultimately money will happen to come with. So I think if uh, people are coming here because now real estate is so sexy because it's shown like that on TV and people are coming here because they think they can make a quick buck, they will never because money will, will distract them from their ultimate goal and they will do a deal or two but they will leave. If you're in here because you enjoy it and you love what you do and you're, you're, you're eager to become greater, you will be extremely successful in, regard, in, in any field. So that's my take on it.
1: Uh, Luis, listen,
2: you're a pleasure and it was so nice to Thank talk you. to you
1: today. Thank you so much. Maybe you'll come back again. Yeah. Uh, continued success in million dollar listing and in those deals. Wednesday nights of Bravo. Wednesday say. nights Bravo at 9 a.m. Yes. I, I don't miss it. <laughs> Thank All you. All right, very everybody. Much. We'll be back after these messages. But first, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America channel. Don't go away.
0: Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. We're ready now. Visit Blue Realtygroup.com. That's BLU Realty Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to our wild world with host Ellie Weiss. or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, we're back. Thanks to Luis Ortiz, great guest, great person. Um, and so don't forget, Bravo TV, Million Dollar Listing, New York, every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. We're back with my star panel, my feet on the street, as I like to call them, um, to discuss some hot topics today. Joining me is Parul Brombat. She's a very seasoned agent for Core Group Real Estate. We have Rachel Altshuler, is with Douglas Elliman, and over a dozen years of experience in the business, including uh, new condo development sales. And Niall Longram is president of his own firm, Dalian Realty, and has been in the business for many years as well. Good morning, everybody.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Ben. Good morning.
1: All right. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about some um, what I call hot topics or, or, or things that I've been concerned with, you know, for a while. And I wanted everybody's opinion on this. So an article in The New York Times that there uh, should be a charm school for real estate I want to talk about sometimes. And this is certainly not everyone in the business, but brokers can be rude. They could be arrogant, too aggressive. And this is the one that got me the most. They talk too much. What is your opinion on that?
4: I would say that, uh, in all honesty, um, it depends on the broker and the style. Um, Ultimately, I think that uh, the people who are successful in our business really are good listeners. Um, I think that you really do have to be uh, willing to listen in order to uh, be successful at understanding your client's needs and really being able to serve them.
1: Rachel, you were going to say something?
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, definitely agreeing with her. I, I think that we all, whether you're in real estate or not, need to listen more. And the only way to do your job well is to really understand what they want, what they're looking for. And sometimes your client doesn't even know what they want or need. And so what by listening to how many times they go to Central Park in the morning or – how close they need to be by the train for work, or if they need to be close to Grand Central or Port Authority, that's the kind of stuff that that it takes for you to do your job. And I think a lot of brokers want to talk about their personal life, and of course, that's how you grow the relationship and and connect with your client. But I think a lot of new brokers especially should focus on doing less of that and listening more, for sure.
1: So, so let me let me ask you this. So, why why then do we get labeled? We, you know, in general, get labeled sometimes as being rude and arrogant or, or far too aggressive. Is it because we aren't listening to what our clients are saying and we're trying to push back and give them information that we want them to have, or is it just a, a personality of of a broker in in, in this town? Because we do I, we do get we we get that label, rude and arrogant.
5: Yeah, I think, Vince, you know, I read that article from the New York Times about, like, where brokers should go to charm school. And, you know, I think the thing that was kind of shocking with that is that there's 52,000 licensed salespeople and brokers um, in the middle of 2013, I think, when they got that data point. That's a lot, right? And so you got to understand that there's a lot of people that see million-dollar listing in Luis, and they try and get into the business for what, like, Luis was talking about, for the wrong reasons. And then they try and, you know, get on and then push people or push a certain product when, you know, that's that's not, you know, the upper echelon of brokers. The the better brokers in the city are are the ones that are, you know, the opposite of being rude and arrogant. They're the ones who are thoughtful, who listen to their clients, who try and, you know, get into their mindset, understand how many times they go to Central Park, um, and really find out who their client is so they could best assist them throughout the process.
1: Yeah, I mean likability is is really key as as clients and agents spend, you know, many hours together in a search uh for a new home or condo or certainly if you're selling, you know, someone's home, you're in and out of it, you know, quite especially on with open houses, and if they don't like you, they're going to move on to someone else. So on the heels of, you know, the the rudeness, the arrogance, the aggressiveness, talk a little bit about likability and how, you know, you guys get your clients to really like you. I mean, cuz that's very important and it's not easy to do by the way.
3: I think you just have to show your experience and and your knowledge. And and when I meet somebody at an open house after two to five minutes, that's when you have to show to somebody why they should work with you over somebody else. And not every broker can do that. And I think a lot of brokers can come off a little bit too pushy or forceful. But I think a seasoned broker is going to understand that, you have to let the client come to you in a lot of cases. I mean, that's, that's really how I work. I just, I sort of, a laissez-faire approach where, and I think Vince, you're, you're just like that, where you're just like, this is who I am. I know my stuff. I've been doing this for a long time. And this is what I have to offer where some brokers have a different strategy. Yeah, and
5: piggyback off of that, I I really think that you know the, a really important key to kind of like letting the the clients come you is being genuine with your approach, smiling, mm-hmm. you know, not not trying to you know broker them if you will, but just being honest. You know, I think the biggest thing that you could do as an agent are be transparent. You know, talk about the details and know your stuff, and and don't really and fluff too much around that. And if you you are genuine and you know you smile and you you, you actually have a uh, a keen interest in your client, then they're going to come to you, and they're going to they're going to like you and want to work with you.
1: Exactly. You know, I, I tell my agents all the time. You know, it's it's and, and Nile, thank you. The word genuine is is perfect. But in addition to that, knowledge, credibility, confidence—these are the things that, as real estate agents individually, when we present these qualities to our buyers, I think it's almost an immediate like because oftentimes. You know, buyers don't know what they want. Oftentimes, sellers are unrealistic. So when you come to them in a very fair way, in a very, you know, credible way, I think that goes a long way uh, with the likability factor. And it it brings you um, continued success with them. But it also brings you, you know, the the wonderful, wonderful referrals that we all, you know, live and work for. So it's
3: sort of an inside joke in the brokerage community of if you're showing one of your listings and a broker shows up at their client and the broker is obviously new to the game and they're talking and they're asking a lot of questions and they're pointing out the negative things in front of the client. It, it's interesting because we all sort of know that that's not what you do. You sort of let your client take it in. And the more a broker talks, the the less seasoned you are. I think we would all agree with that. Um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah.
5: Well, yeah. I also
4: think that, uh, that it, it's really about allowing the, the client to take in the space, like you're saying, Rachel. I mean, if, if when a broker makes it about themselves, the showing about themselves, you realize that there is certainly a lack of uh, mm-hmm. experience, to say the least. And to what Nels was saying, I mean, there is just a wide range of brokers um, where, you know, different people are going to have different styles, but I think some of the commonalities... Um, one of the other factors, Vince, I would add to the three that you said was, is also care, that when you genuinely are caring about your client, then everything else, I mean, you have to know your market, you have to have experience, understand how the nuances of the deal, but really if you're coming from a place of care, then you go that extra mile or 10 miles or whatever it takes to really deliver for the client to make sure that you're paying attention to what the client's needs are. And Mm -hmm. so I think ultimately everything goes hand in hand um, and falls into place, uh, just focusing on that specific target.
1: All right. Well said. We have to take a break. So hold it right there. We're coming right back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America channel. Don't go away.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Visit Blue Realty group.com That's BLU Realty Group.com. News Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free one 866 1-86-472-5787. 866 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco If you want to call into the program We're toll free in North America At 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's V Rocco at Realtygroup.com.
1: Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with Perul Brumbat, uh, Rachel Altschiller, Nell Lundgren, my feet on the street expert, very skilled brokers. And we're talking about some um, traits with some brokers, certainly not all, that aren't as flattering as others. And I want to qualify that by saying, you know, We all, um, as Louise said, and I think Niall said earlier, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. There are a lot of brokers on the street, but the ones who stay in the business really for a long period of time and who find the success that we have all found are those uh, types of brokers that are very different from what we're talking about this morning. So let's just clarify that. You know, on the heels of of the rudeness and the arrogance and the the aggressiveness and whatever, I read recently, and and I I don't live under a rock, but this one kind of got me by surprise. There coaches out there to help smooth the rough edges on some of these profiles that we're talking about. Have you guys heard about these agent coaches? And if so, what have you heard about them? I'm completely intrigued by this.
3: I have, yeah. My office uses coaches a lot. Um, My old office at 17th Street used them a lot. Um, I personally have never used them um, because I've always had a partner, and I think it's important to have someone to check in with every day. And I think when you work on your own for a lot of brokers who are working by themselves, it is very useful to have a coach, someone they can check in with. How do I, um, you know, better myself every day? How do I remember to follow up with every client to canvas a neighborhood? I think that a coach is important for some people, but I've never used one. Um, I don't know about you guys. So Rachel, well, what? I, I haven't used one either,
4: but um, I have heard of them. And really, if you think about it, uh, most Fortune 500 CEOs, um, most people who are dedicated to the career in, in, in leadership positions um, in just about any industry, are known to have executive coaches. So I really do think that it's a really good idea, given that the bar, the barrier to entry. In real estate, is seriously so low. You don't even need a college education to be a real estate broker. And I think that that is precisely what's creating such a huge range of, of brokers and broker behaviors out there. And a little bit of polish, I think, could certainly be very helpful to the industry overall.
1: What actually, um, any of you, What? what, I mean, I have a general idea, but for our listening audience, what are they actually doing with you?
5: You know, I haven't heard, too much about it, but I think, you know, what Perl was saying is that, you know, any type of coach, you know, in a, in a super competitive market like New York City, you know, especially real estate is, is really important. You know, I, I haven't used one either, but I do have mentors, um, that I'm very, very close with and have, and have helped me as I've, you know, grown and progressed in my career. So, you know, I think as, as, you know, the internet helps information become much more transparent. Brokers have to be much more skilled and work a lot smarter. So anything to get a competitive advantage, you know, I would say is is something uh, that you know people need to investigate. And if it's you know getting a coach, um, that's that's one great way. Personally, you know, I, I use um, a number of different uh, mentors from a, a number of different um, industries within the city.
3: I know a lot of top brokers use a Tony Robbins method. I mean, some of the best brokers in the city. Work with Tony Robbins often during the year and takes them to the next level. Um, and I always wondered about that because we're all so busy. How do these really busy, successful brokers have the time to invest into something like Tony Robbins? And I think that conquering your fears and, and obstacles is a big, big thing, a big upside of using a coach. Um, and also, what
4: Rachel, you were saying earlier, I think that it creates accountability. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. what you brought up was excellent that you do it personally with a partner. Um, I think that when there is no partner um, in in an agent's uh, business plan, or if that's not, if they're they're doing sort of an independent thing, um, I think a coach could really create some accountability. So I think that it's a different approach to kind of creating the same result you've been creating.
3: Right. Walking on coals for some people is sort of like (laughs) cold calling. (laughs) Cold calling is very hard for people.
1: Very true. All right. So here's one, you know, cell phones. And then we listen, we all, you know, live with them, sleep with them. I mean, whatever. But there's such a big problem today, I think, with everybody. But bringing it back to our industry, big problem with agents, they seem to not be able to control themselves with usage, even when they're with clients. I run into this all the time. I'm representing a buyer. I walk into a listing you know, uh, with a listing agent, and he or she is on the phone, you know, most of the time, or they will answer phones in the middle of, of a presentation. Damn, that to me is so rude. Comments on cell phone usage with agents.
4: Vince, I have to be the first to admit that um, I'm somewhat guilty of charged. Um, <laughs> I think that as real estate brokers, we really do have to find the balance between how often we look at the phone and just like everybody else, um, you know, we used to call them crackberries before. Now it's the iPhone saga. It's like 2.0 has gotten even worse. Um, That really what I do is I turn my ringer off when I'm with clients. Um, I keep the ringer off and I really, I mean, only look at my phone at those in-between times when either they are occupied doing something else or we're taking a little coffee break, etc. Because if that ringer is on, the addiction of being able to reach for the phone is just almost tough to crack. Uh, But I do think that it's extremely important to be vigilant and making sure that your clients don't feel alienated, especially when you are in front of them. I think being present is probably one of the most important notions in our business, um, because that is precisely where a client really feels taken care of and and knows that we're really serving their needs and not
5: focused on the next dollar. Well, I think Perul just hit the nail on the head with being present. You know, being literally present with your client when you're with them is really important. What I do is I keep my phone consistently on vibrate, whether I'm with a client or not, um, and it generally just sits in my, uh, my jacket pocket so I could feel if, uh, if, I, if I'm getting something coming through and I could just peek at it if I need to, but you know, it kind of like lets me know that something's going on without um, me having to stop and say, "Excuse me, you know, client, you know, let me just look at this." So it's it's you know it's really important just to be present with your client, make them feel like they're the only one that you're working with and that you care about in the current moment. Because at the end of the day, you know, they are what's the most important uh, for you right now because they're in front of you. Well,
3: let, and,
4: let me. You talk- know, the funny the funny thing is I've actually noticed sometimes when I a brokers coming coming in with buyers at my exclusives. I almost get the sense that some of the lesser seasoned brokers uh, seem to use the phone as a as a tool of importance. Like they want to show their client that they're so busy. I think I I think that's you know I I would heed with caution there because I really personally feel that it takes away then then aids your uh, interaction with your clients.
1: But let's dig just a little bit more on this because this is one of my biggest hot buttons. So. You know, I come from a, a tremendous sales background, well, actually all of my career before, before real estate. You know, is it the phenomenon of a missed call equals a missed opportunity or is it just, as Perul said earlier, you know, we're so addicted to what used to be the Crackberry and now the iPhone phenomenon? I mean, what – I mean, I do the same thing. I mean, you know, it's in my hand 24 hours a day. It's on my nightstand when I go to sleep in the morning and I look at it first thing before I even say good morning to my, my jet. What – I mean, is it really about a missed call, missed opportunity – is, is that what is the, 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 the driving energy behind this?
3: Well, even if you miss a call, what's important is calling someone back within five to ten minutes. So if I'm with a client and I, it's an urgent call and I have a deal to be, you know, taken care of in that second, of course, you're going to say to your client, excuse me, let me take this. I'll be right off. Um, for the most part, though, you know, as Niall said, phone on vibrate. Nothing's as important as being present with your client. Um, but that being said, you know, there are times where you should pick up the phone and I think you have to just do case by case and use your judgment.
1: Yeah, well said. I, I, I agree with that. And listen, you know, I'm just as guilty as uh, a rule or anybody else, you know, admitting it because, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things. I remember the days, I guess I'm old enough to remember the days where none of this technology existed. And you know what? Just did perfectly fine. It's
4: well, in fact, I feel that, um, you know, we do put so much pressure on getting back to people so quickly. Um, I, but if you, you know, sort of start, I, I'm a reader, and so, you know, reading books like 4-hour work weeks make me laugh a little bit because, you know, there's no such thing as a 4-hour work day for us, let alone a week. Um, however, you pick up these notions of, of simple tips like find specific times during the day when you're checking email. Find specific times during the day when you are checking voicemails and returning them. I think text is easier. If somebody shoots you a quick text, it's a quick question. It's very easy to fire back on the text and, and communicate and stay in touch with people without feeling like you're alienating the conversation right in front of you. Um, so I think that incorporating some of these skills and tips of sort of giving yourself intervals when you look at the phone versus, you know, it being a reactive thing where you feel that the second it vibrates or rings or, you know, if you haven't looked at it for fifteen minutes that you have to turn to it, that you no longer start doing that. Like you you train yourself to sort of pull back from the habitual checking of the
3: phone. Here's, here's I think a... also brokers tend to forget, um, when it's our listing guys, how important it is how we show to the buyer and the broker. So for instance, I brought a buyer to a listing in Brooklyn, it was a new development. And the listing broker was literally on her phone the entire time to the point where she actually left the property and was outside the building the entire showing. <laughs> and my client, Classic. I mean, as great as it was, was like, I, I want to get out of here. This is not for me. You know, she pissed me off and-, and let's go on to the next property. So it's interesting how your clients make a decision on a property. It's really not just about that. It really
4: is point. really about creating an experience. You're so right. Yeah.
1: Let me ask you this okay so here here's the million dollar question a million dollar episode this week preferred um, choice of communication text, email, or phone to a buyer phone. to a, whatever and why
5: phone one hundred percent that's the best yeah. way you know I think there's a couple of things one is emails right people tend to be like I call them email tough guys, right people who can like to be whoever they like to be in an email, then you get them on the phone and they're like uh, uh." So first, you know, talking to somebody and just, you know, cause tone is so much, it's so important. Um, in communication and just understanding, really, if somebody likes something or doesn't like something or wants to submit an offer, you really can't get that in a text or an email. You really have to feel where they're coming from, and that's going to come on the phone. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, email, tough guy. And then text, I think what everyone else has been saying is great for just like, you know, are are we good to meet at 3 o'clock on the corner here? All right, great. Are we confirmed with this? Yes. Just short, quick questions like that. But generally the phone is the most important thing. So Niall, am I I agree, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm texting
3: that. is more for rentals for me. Email is for documenting things and making sure that everyone's on the same page, and phone is for the relationship. What about Yeah, the different- and I
4: feel that I actually, I think I can use text a lot, but it is precisely for those functions. It's like, we're meeting here, are you on your way? You know, um, okay, great, would you like a cup of coffee, right? Like, those are the things that I will say on text, but uh, actually, even more than the phone, in all honesty, I think that, any conversation that's important in person is is absolutely the best way to
1: go. And is it fair to say then that with all of these comments, and I agree with you, that uh, when you're negotiating a deal, that you prefer to do it over phone versus email? I mean, uh, Rachel, absolutely. I... Absolutely. Mandatory.
5: 100%. Mandatory, Vince. Yes. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think something is lost when you when you stick. I mean, Rachel made a good point. I mean, and I do the same thing. For documentation purposes... I will call, I will do the negotiations, I will have whatever amount of conversations. I will always follow up, though, in an email because that's your paper trail and that's your, you know, he said, Mm -hmm. she said. But I think it's so important and people miss the mark when, I mean, I I had a broker recently trying to negotiate a deal over text with me and I called her and I said, (laughs) I mean, I like text, but, you know, I don't have the time to be you know writing all these words, call me.
4: Oh well, I don't think I'm ancient yet, but it makes me feel that way certainly when um I'm interacting with uh some of the newest brokers who have started um It's an interesting conversation of you know just social skills that is happening around around that generation where people or most conversations happen with text and snapchats and whatnot where really it's like it seems that sometimes even getting a full paragraph out of somebody uh seems to just be a radical notion.
3: One of, the, one of the things I like about Million Dollar Listing is when they meet their clients at a restaurant in person, which never happens in our industry, and it's, it's actually refreshing to see. I wish we had the time to do that more.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think you know what we see sometimes on TV and what reality is is a little different, although um, I think we also can sometimes make that time. Rachel, you, you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that now that you have a team, you have more time mm-hmm. to be more social with your clients as I do. And I think that really is what the differentiator is and what makes the real difference.
4: Yeah. And, you know, it's, I would say the same thing. I'd say that, um, of course, it's not, you know, we don't meet every client every time in a social uh, situation and setting. However, I find it to be important to sort of live what I call an integrated life, which is um, I take clients with me to yoga or to meditation or to, you know, spin class or, you know, meet them out for a coffee. I think that um, even former clients, I tend to use that as a tool to keep in touch with them. So it's not uncommon for me to sort of be in a social setting with a client. Granted, it isn't to discuss every single point of every deal because mm-hmm. there's just not enough hours in the day.
1: You know? stop here. We've got to go. So on the program next week, I will be talking to the panel for the full hour, Hot Topics, and uh, it's going to be a great show, so don't miss it. That's all for this week, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, live on the Variety Channel here on Voice America Network. You can always catch the show later in the day or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. Remember, tweet me at Vince Rocco or find me on Facebook. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.